Good morning, friends. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And the project is to work together through the whole Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. Today, we're in a sense going to look into the heart of darkness. We're going to consider what evil is, what it really is, and how God has responded to it. In chapter 5 of our special bonus season, the short season of my free audiobook, Experiencing God Day by Day. This is a short extra bonus season, two-week season, before we were returning back into the main theme, which is working together through the entire Bible and picking up our next season studying the book of Exodus. This brief little segue, diversion, just allows me a little bit more time to prepare before I launch off on our amazing time together in Exodus. So I hope you enjoy it and find it helpful and maybe perhaps even insightful. So with that said, let's drop back into the audiobook and I'll see you at the end. Bye for now. Experiencing God Day by Day by Jeremy R. McCandless Read by the author Chapter 5 The Heart of Darkness Some people, particularly those associated with the New Age and the metaphysical cults, like Christian science, deny the existence of evil and claim it is an illusion. Mary Baker Eddy, the founder of the Christian science movement, stated that Evil, sickness and death are unreal and illusions of the mortal mind. Prominent New Thought writer Emily Cady also wrote, There is no evil, pain, sickness, poverty, old age and death are not real. They have no power over me. All these cults deny sensory reality in their teaching, yet all the founders of these movements died from what they considered an illusion. An illusion that some said it is not to be believed or indulged with. Furthermore, when people claim that evil is an illusion, I think it's fair to ask, do they warn their children not to talk to strangers? Do they support laws against persistently violent criminals or paedophiles? Or even if they lock their homes at night? Or when they go away on holiday? If so, why? So it is clear Jesus certainly believed in the reality of evil. To accept the views of the cults like Christian Science, the Unity Christian Movement and the Religious Science Movement is to deny our own senses and personal experience. Orthodox Christianity has always taught us to consider empirical evidence by primarily using our senses. Jesus told Thomas to stick his fingers into the crucifixion wounds as a way of proving that he was indeed Jesus and that he had risen from the dead. You'll find that in John chapter 20, verse 27. We also read in John 1 that John and the apostles declared that the one whom they are speaking about is, and I'll read it for you from 1 John chapter 1, verse 1, the very introduction, that which we have heard and which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at with our own eyes and our hands have touched and we proclaim concerning the word of life. In both the so-called Christian cults and the New Age movement, a popular view is to have a pantheistic view of the world. This word comes from the fusing of two Greek words, pan, meaning all, and theus, God. In pantheonism, 
All is believed to be part of the divinity. The God of the New Age is found to be impersonal and amoral as opposed to the God of Christianity who is both personal and moral. The God of the New Age is no more than an it, whereas the God of the Christian faith is a he. It is plain to see that any distinction between the Creator and his creation is shattered by adhering to a New Age view of God. All is one and all is one, the followers of the New Age movement are often heard to declare. However, with making this declaration, the distinction between good and evil also disappears. We only need to look a little closer to see hundreds of New Age leaders and thinkers around the world frequently writing of their rejection of the dualist concept of good and bad. This point of view means that everything is declared to be relative and there is no longer an absolute right or wrong. But how does this help us deal with the very real existence of evil in the world, that which we can see all around us and, if we're unfortunate, experience? If all is one and all is God, then within that view must be an accommodation that includes that evil also stems from the same essence, i.e. God. In other words, all manifestations of evil are part of that which emanates from God. So that includes rape, murder, even paedophilia. Are they now said to have their source in God? What an appalling doctrine. Christianity, in contrast, teaches that God is all good and no evil. John 1, chapter 5 tells us that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Many of these New Age groups also teach that people can create their own realities by the power of their mind and that every belief we hold shapes and defines what we experience in life. However, if we accept this even basic philosophy, then by nature we need to accept the fact that we must therefore create all aspects of our reality, both the parts we like and those we dislike. As we shall see later, some proponents of the New Age philosophies go so far as to say that they cannot condemn individuals who inflict evil on others because they are simply creating their own reality by their actions. If this is the case, then even Hitler cannot be condemned as intrinsically wrong, since his regime created its own reality in exterminating over six million Jews. But on the other side of this noxious worldview must be that Hitler was only part of the story, the Jews who died in the gas chambers of Auschwitz and the other prison camps are also, according to this ideology, responsible for being part of the reality that they also created for themselves. In other words, centuries of Jewish history and cultural characteristics made it inevitable that they would collectively end up persecuted and victimised. We still see this view exemplified today in the writing of actress a New Age guru, Shirley McCain, who indeed, when writing about the death of her own drama teacher's daughter, who burned to death in a car crash, mused and wondered why did she choose to die in this way. Many New Agers attempt to construct their own ethical code. Notice I use the word code, for it is not a belief. The ethical code they create tries to cover all aspects of reincarnation and karma. The term itself, karma, refers to the debt a soul accumulates of either their good actions or their bad actions, those things committed during the individual's life and past life, by the way. Bad karma results in reincarnation into a bad state. Good karma, they say, results in reincarnation into a more desirable state. 
The process of reincarnation continues until it reaches a state of perfection and merges back within its source, sometimes referred to as the universal soul and sometimes even called God. The final state is also often referred to as nirvana. This view was adopted by famous New Age thinker Gary Zucker when he said, We do not presume to judge when people suffer cruelly, for we do not know who is being healed. This view of evil as witnessed and experienced in the world is often referred to as non-judgmental justice. What such teaching does is it relieves us of any need to judge as right or wrong any evil we witness because it says the law of karma is capable of bringing about justice in the end. Such thinking would have us believe that when Thomas Hamilton walked through Dunblane Primary School in 1996, murdering 16 five-year-old and six-year-old children, that this would somehow bring healing to those children's souls. Are we really expected to place our faith in this so-called non-judgmental justice? What would it teach us? Or are we better expected to accept the Christian viewpoint and be morally outraged by such acts and recognising such things as individual acts of moral evil in the world and each of which causes a catastrophic convulsion in the heart of God? Christians can take comfort in the secure knowledge that there is nothing divine or sacred in such actions and unrepentant souls will account for their actions in this life eternally. Not only does this doctrine of reincarnation fall apart morally and philosophically, it also singly fails to deliver any historic improvement in human nature after supposed millennia of reincarnations. If this was the case, why does evil continue to grow? Why is there still widespread poverty, starvation and wars? Suffering. Why so when mankind is perceived to be in a path of spiritual evolution and refinement by this ideology? The Bible rejects flatly this view of reincarnation, where it clearly states man is destined once to die and after death to face judgment. That's Hebrews chapter 9 verse 7. The Bible teaches that humans live once as mortals upon the earth, and once they die they face eternal judgment. Historically, all the major branches of Christianity have held to the doctrine of eternal punishment and separation of the wicked from God. The very first Athanasian Creed declared, From thence, heaven, he shall come to judge the quick, which means alive, and the dead, at whose coming all men shall rise again with their bodies, and shall give account of their works. And they that have done good shall go into everlasting life, and they that have done evil into the everlasting fire. The New Age attack on the idea of eternal punishment for the wicked is just the latest in a long line of attacks on this doctrine. Even Sigmund Freud himself, no friend of Christianity, acknowledged this truth when he considered this matter, writing, It is an illusion to reject something simply because we do not wish to believe it. Sometimes people fall into the trap of believing that just because it appears that God has not dealt with evil in the world means that he's not going to deal with it at all. Evil and its effects will indeed be done away with one day, and one day it will be done finally and with finality in the future. 
Just because it's not destroyed right now does not mean that it never will be. C.S. Lewis wrote this, From a world free of creatures, even though they fell, he could yet work out a deeper happiness and a fuller splendour than any world full of automata could admit. If in the fullness of time God is to preserve freedom and defeat evil, then this is the only way to do it. In God's plan of human salvation, freedom is preserved in that each person makes his own free choice to determine his own destiny. Evil is also overcome in that those who reject God are ultimately separated from those who accept his love. Thereafter, the moral decisions of all are made permanent in the fullness of time. Those who choose God are confirmed in it and freed from it, and sin will cease, thereby the individual is not only saved from its power, but from its presence also. Those who reject God are in an eternal separation from God and cannot expect the perfect eternity that will come for those who have chosen to be with him. God's ultimate goal of a perfect world with men and women operating with free will will have come about. However, the way to ultimately achieve this requires those who abuse their freedom to be finally cast out to that place of separation, which indeed will be a place of eternal conscious torment. At one and the same time, they will recognise the God of love and his plan and yet remain separate from it. As American theologian Norman Geisler put it, this may not yet be the best possible world, but it is the best way to get to the best possible world in that God has not finished yet. Too many people fall into the trap of thinking that because we are unable to see God dealing with evil right now in the middle of their sufferings, that this means he's not going to deal with evil at all. Just because evil is not destroyed today does not mean that evil will not be destroyed tomorrow. Read the last chapters of the Bible, friends, and you will see the power of the wicked will be stripped away and that men and women will be accountable for all the things they have done during their time on earth. Love, truth and justice will ultimately prevail and all of humanity will enter eternity understanding just how effectively God has dealt with the problem of evil once and for all time. Evil men can no more diminish the love of God any more than a foolish man can diminish the light of the sun on a summer beach by drawing the word darkness in the sand. Thankfully for us living today, God's ultimate solution to the problem of evil lies in our own transitory lifetime. The fact that you are alive today, listening to these words read from this page, means God has given you time to respond. He has also given the witness of other people in the community of believers throughout and across the world. A body of people called to be a light in the midst of darkness, to witness to this truth to one another and to strengthen each other and help restrain the growth of wickedness throughout the world. Also, God has given us his word, the Bible, which gives us a moral standard and acts as a guide to keep us on the right path. He even went so far as to guide human beings by placing within the early chapters of the Bible standards to be set for human society and government to help us withstand any drive towards lawlessness and to stifle the effect of selfishness. And he also, importantly, ordained for us the family unit in order to bring stability to such societies. 
God could bring an end to all evil immediately today. But that would have fatal and final complications for many, many of us. To call upon God to bring an end to evil today is in a sense to call upon God to bring an end to us today. His actions would have to include and deal with our own lives and the lies we've told or any lack of love, even our failures to do good when it was appropriate. If God were to remove all evil from the universe immediately right now, then who amongst us would be left standing at the end of the day? God does not desire that anyone should perish. He wants to give everyone time to respond to him. If we are unable to call upon God to bring an end to evil today, then perhaps what we should just ask him to do is rather than remove sin, is to forgive it instead. Remembering that the forgiveness of evil not only needs to be offered, it also needs to be accepted. For us to grasp hold of God's offers of the forgiveness of our sin, first a person needs to admit their need of forgiveness. Otherwise, their salvation can never be complete. Okay, that's it for today. My name is Jeremy McCandless and you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. And this is a special bonus season, just a short two-week season, to allow some preparation time between the main seasons. Rather than just have a couple of weeks off, I've posted this season to allow some preparation time before we launch off on our huge third journey through an entire book of the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, which will begin in about 10 days' time by looking at Exodus. But in the meantime, I'm hoping you're finding this audiobook version of my 2012 book, Experiencing God Day by Day, maybe perhaps a little bit helpful when it comes to facing some of those issues that the world would challenge us about, those of us who identify as Christian believers. Can I remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast wherever it is you're getting your podcasts from, but the actual podcast itself is hosted on the bibleproject.buzzsprite.com. That's a place where you will not only find links to all the ways which you can connect to me and my ministry, places like LinkedIn, where I tend to put more formal structured discipleship type training courses, always free by the way, and other places like YouTube, where because of YouTube's very sort of user-friendly playlist format I intend probably to be the the place for the long-term archive of the podcast because I can put it in playlists not only by books of the bible but also by themes and you'll also find places like buy me a coffee and probably most importantly from the ministry's point of view the patreon page that's the place where people can select to become patrons of the ministry my ministry and by connecting with it and supporting it enable the word of God to be shared more widely and made freely available to more people free on all those platforms out there where people listen to this sort of stuff. It's also the place where I do early releases, bonus episodes, and I'm adding new material there all the time. Stuff that doesn't quite fit into the podcast format, which may find a home one day. So if you'd like to have a look at that sort of thing, 
follow the link over to Patreon and you'll see what's going on there. So having said that, that's it for today. As I said, thank you again for joining me. I do hope you're finding our time together helpful, encouraging, and that God is speaking to you through it. And I'll see you back here tomorrow on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye for now.